Well, it's a lovely and beautiful passage from John 3 uh, about the wind of God's Spirit. And we Cantabrians, I think, have a somewhat ambivalent uh, relationship with the wind. I can still recall from my days here as a student that it always helped to know what the wind was doing before you set off on your bike. Uh, Especially I remember the day that we decided to bike out to Rangiora and back. And uh, it was fine going out, but coming back in we had a headwind above all headwinds. Um, you had to work out which head, where your headwinds and your tailwinds uh, could work to your advantage. And so whether it's that hot nor'wester or a bracing southerly or breezy easterly, there's always something to say about the wind here. But our consternation is extreme if there isn't any. And heaven forbid the airport is fog-bound. It's probably happened to all of us. It certainly happened to me once in, in July. But then the wind returns and blows away the clouds, leaving that fabulous Canterbury big sky that I love Mm. getting out in uh, on the plains. So that same wind that can drive us crazy on a bad day is exhilarating and energising on a good day, especially if that involves a really good uh, brisk walk on the beach. Well, as Jesus says in John 3, the wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. No wonder poor old Nicodemus is a bit confused. I I think Nicodemus actually gets a bit of a bad press. Uh, Yes, he comes to Jesus by night. Some say he's a bit of a coward. He comes to Jesus by night in secret. But actually, John doesn't paint Nicodemus as like some of the other Pharisees in his gospel who are opposed to Jesus. Rather, Nicodemus is more curious about Jesus, trying to work him out. And so, yes, he does come along at night. Uh, He's a bit worried about his reputation, I think, but he's really um, searching and seeking. And uh, he's trying to sort of see where Jesus might fit into the preconceived categories he brings. So he's cautious, uh, but perhaps understandably so. He has a lot to lose as a leader and teacher of his people. So perhaps he's anticipating just a little cosy sort of civilised little exchange of views over a drink uh, among fellow rabbis, perhaps um, a sort of a bit like an academic common room discussion in a quiet corner there. And he certainly acknowledges straight off that Jesus is a rabbi and he seems to compliment him from the start. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one could do signs like you do apart from the presence of God. Well, perhaps that was a good move to start with Nicodemus, Uh, maybe a wee bit patronising, but he's trying to sort of, you know, butter Jesus up to start with. But actually, it's a bit of a false start, because John has told us already that Jesus is none too impressed with those who just show interest in him because they're fascinated by signs and miracles. Uh, Jesus knows things need to go a bit deeper Uh, than just a superficial attraction to the latest celebrity in town. And of course, uh, last week we heard about that temptation, even for Jesus, to buy into that whole celebrity status. And so Jesus actually cuts to the chase with Nicodemus and goes straight to the heart of it. Nothing less than a whole rebirth will do. A complete makeover, we might say now. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above or born again. 
Maybe we can get a bit hung up these days or dismissive even of that phrase born again, of course, which has come into our language of, of born again Christians. I can uh, still recall my flatmate making a cake in the middle of the night, I think it was about two in the morning, and we'd been staying up late watching Bjorn Borg uh, win Wimbledon for the fifth time. And so we had a cake with Bjorn again. Uh, <laughs> terrible, isn't it? The puns you have at two in the morning uh, on top of the cake. Perhaps it's more helpful to use the translation that our, our Bible version used today, born from above. It just turns things slightly differently. And that certainly would have helped Nicodemus because he seems to be a bit of a literalist and he, he sort of started getting into images of labour and birth and how on earth could all this happen when actually Jesus is using a metaphor. You need to be born from above, from God, born of water, born of the spirit of God, a spiritual rebirth which launches you into new life, still dripping from the waters of baptism. And of course, we've been seeing already John the Baptist baptizing, uh, and today actually in church, uh, Philip Robinson's baptizing his little grandson. Um, and we have that lovely image of being born of water and the spirit, which we then spend a lifetime growing into. Well, then why does Jesus change tack again and start talking about the wind? The wind blows where it chooses. John uh, here is indulging in a bit of punning or wordplay. Uh, the word panuma in Greek, which is the word uh, he uses here, can mean wind or it can mean spirit. Um, you think of words like, hard to say, isn't it? Pneumatic drill or something like that. Panuma is the word uh, that means something that has wind or spirit. And the same in the Hebrew, actually, it's the beautiful word ruach, which can mean spirit or wind or breath. Those words are all interchangeable. And the same with panuma. We are called to breathe in uh, God's spirit. Remember, Jesus breathed on his disciples after the resurrection and they received the Holy Spirit. So here Jesus is playing for all he's worth on these different lovely images of the Spirit of God as wind or breath, the Spirit giving life, new life and energy, just like that first cry of the baby as it's born, as it takes in breath into its lungs. So the Spirit promises to come and live in us and give life and energy. But also, it's not just breathing in, it's breathing out and moving out and pushing us out. It's sometimes it's that wild spirit who pushes us and is the impetus to drive us into new directions and new departures. A bit like getting blown along the beach or uh, blowing it into the wind. I'm thinking about all the flights I've just been taking uh, in my Indian trip and that, those, that enormous power of when the, the plane, those huge planes are going along the runway and the wind's coming against you to give you lift off. It's that same for us born of the Spirit. We are given that spiritual new life and energy by the Spirit to achieve liftoff. And sometimes we can feel like we're running along the ground or even plodding along the ground, and we need to pray, Lord, give us that liftoff. That's obviously all a bit too much for Nicodemus to handle. It's interesting that he sort of falls silent within the conversation. And perhaps at this stage, he's just trying to take it all in. He's just a little bit too cautious to let what's obviously a yearning in his heart 
which has drawn him to Jesus. He's still just needing to chew this all over uh, as he thinks about what response, what he might make, and that challenge that Jesus makes to him of radical commitment and response and action. But Jesus will go on in a lovely way to show Nicodemus he's not asking anything of him that Jesus will not ask of himself. And so just as we heard last week that it was actually the spirit who drove Jesus into the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry for that time of testing, so the Son of Man will feel called by the Spirit to follow the way of the cross to Jerusalem, to be that one who stretches out his arms on the cross. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's a funny, uh, unusual image that that John uses here. He talks about Moses, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And we tend to go back to Genesis and think about the serpent and think it's not such a good thing. But John here uh, uses a little story that's actually in the book of Numbers, where there's a plague among the people, and Moses lifts up a bronze serpent on a pole to avert the plague. And he's told that that will bring healing to everyone who looks upon it. It's a strange little story. And yet those of you who are medics or work in the medical field will still know that symbol uh, of the snake on a pole with a curly bit round it is still used as an emblem. Those of you who've got medical alert bracelets, I think it's actually um, on the bracelet. So it's still there. So in some way, the symbol of disease becomes a symbol of healing. And uh, it's a lovely message because here in the mystery of the love between Father, Son and Holy Spirit that spills out into the world, God sends his son Jesus into the world and the son is willing to come into the world where one day he will be lifted up on the cross that all those who look to him in faith might be saved and healed through him. That's the faith, the trust that actually would enable our friends Abraham and Sarah that our children will be thinking about this morning. It's the second picture along on the timeline that we're working our way through this Lent with our children and to those who are part of Lent groups, those using the Bible course too, we're working our way through. Abraham and Sarah set out on a new journey, even at the tender age of 75, just notice their age, if you were thinking of sort of spiralling down and settling down, there's nothing like that in God's economy. And they, Abraham and Sarah, were able to leave their home, their family, their country, trusting in God's promise of a new family, uh, new children, new home, new names, Abraham and Sarah, new identity, and most of all, a new blessing which would enable them in turn to be a blessing, not just to reserve it for themselves, but to be a blessing for the whole world and to bring God's blessing to all the nations of the world. But you may be thinking, what about Nicodemus? I sort of don't want to leave him sort of languishing in the middle of the night there, confused, drawn to Jesus, but sort of stuck in indecision in the borderlands of faith. 
he reminds me a bit of an albatross chick that's sort of poised on the edge of the cliff. You know, we have them down there on that wonderful Otago Peninsula. And he's sort of poised there and just sort of having his wings out practicing, but not quite willing yet to let the wind catch him and to take him and to hold him up and to let him soar. Well, actually, behind the scenes, it seems that Nicodemus does continue on his journey of faith, of following Jesus. Yes, it's still in the wings to start with. Uh, he's still weighing things up. In John chapter 7, though, we read the temple police were discussing with the Pharisees about arresting Jesus. And Nicodemus is brave enough to put in a word for Jesus. He says, our law doesn't judge people without first giving them a hearing, does it? So he's already, he's out on a limb a bit. He's taking a risk of faith. And then finally, of course, after Jesus' death, after he's taken down from the cross, it's actually Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, who was there at the end, probably at the most dangerous time to be seen as a Christian, as a person of faith. He's there, they have spices to wrap with Jesus' body, and they place his body in Joseph's tomb in the garden. So at the last, at the time when it was probably most dangerous to come out as being a follower of Jesus, Nicodemus is willing, if you like, to fly, to take that risk, to risk his life and declare his allegiance openly to the one he's come to follow as a disciple. And so at the end, in a lovely way, he is there to minister to Jesus, just as Jesus ministered to him. And Jesus did not condemn him, but rather encouraged him on a journey of faith of his own, from the night right through to the dawning light, and then to the light of resurrection. So as we reflect on this well-known but very beautiful reading, uh, John's Gospel is full of these wonderful character portrayals of stories of Jesus' encounters with individuals. And we're going to hear several of these over the next few Sundays in our Gospel readings. We'll see Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, uh, which is a reminder that God's love for the world does extend to each individual as well as to the whole world. So maybe the challenge then is to take it down to us and as we're in this season of Lent to perhaps consider what is there of Nicodemus in me? Uh, where am I perhaps like Nicodemus? Perhaps on a journey of questioning, of searching, of yearning myself. Perhaps a little bit concerned about my faith being made known, fearful of opposition or of critique. Perhaps feeling, perhaps in my bones somewhere, that the Spirit is wanting to blow me in a new direction and on a new journey and a new adventure of faith. And perhaps a wee bit scared about that, like that albatross chick on the clifftop. Perhaps longing, though, for that holy newness of faith, of that longing for that being washed again in the Spirit, the water and the Spirit of baptism that washing afresh and then launching us out, perhaps longing for that breath of the Spirit again to help us breathe in the pacing, those unforced rhythms of grace uh, that we long to walk in day by day. And these 40 days of Lent are a lovely gift of time, a reminder, if you like, to pause and take stock, take spiritual stock, 
and to simplify and declutter down our lives so that we might hear more clearly that little voice of God's spirit, God's wind. Is it a breeze? Is it just a tiny little breeze? Or is it a tempest? Is it a storm we feel like we're in the middle of and we're not sure where our orientation is, where we're heading? Maybe it's the breathing of God deep inside us when we at last pause and become still and we need to get back in tune to that breathing in, breathing out. Then might come the challenge, as it did for Abraham and Sarah and for Nicodemus, to take that next step of faith, whatever it is, to take that next step into new life, into new blessing, and that we might be a blessing to others, a blessing to be a blessing. So as we come to Jesus afresh in this season of Lent, perhaps with all our questions, our yearnings that maybe we can't even name, our longings, Jesus might well say to us, as to Nicodemus, well, it's a little bit later on, but you'll recognise it. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. So may that wind of the refreshing, energising, breathing spirit breathe into us, blow among us here, to God's glory among us. Amen.